from the Los Angeles Underground. It's time for your new favorite podcast, The Superiority Complex. It's like honey in your ear holes. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Your new favorite podcast is what it is, uh, The Superiority Complex. And we are we are already, things are heated already. John wants to get in there and talk about the Beatles documentary. Uh, he's ready to take on all comers. Uh, Patrick and Justine are indifferent, I think. Justine's watching it. I don't, know if, J- it. I don't know if Jake watched it. Uh, I'm getting flack for not having finished an eight-hour documentary. And eight how hours! How dare you? <laughs> how eight dare hours. you not watch an eight-hour documentary it. about the Beatles? I love it. Let me, just, let me just ask you a question, John. Have you watched The Mandalorian yet? No. Oh, okay. You know why? Yeah, I'm because just... I was watching eight and a half hours of the Beatles. How long have you? How long have you had? How long have you had Disney Plus? That's also why I haven't watched Hawkeye. I had a choice to make: watch Hawkeye or finish the Beatle documentary. Your Honor, Your Honor, I rest my case. Yeah. Well, watch Hawkeye or watch anything else. I love. Oh, that's right. You're not particularly looking forward to Hawkeye. We're going to talk about it. how was everyone's Thanksgiving. First of all, I was just about to ask that. Yeah. How was Thanksgiving? Uh, what, what... I ate a lot of food. It was good. Hmm. Um. Yeah, it was nice. I made gravy because I do every year from scratch. Mhm. Mhm. Wow. How was the gravy? How was the white I man had gravy? Two different kinds of gravy. They were great. What kind of gravy did you have? What kind of gravies are there? Well, you know what's great is we we came in a lot of energy. John's raring to go. Jake comes in, and then Patrick and and Justine just they slam on the brakes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm good. Gravy. What? What kind? When he said gravy, I was thinking of Walter Matthau going. You know, why don't you just? Isn't it going to make gravy? He goes, you know, gravy. You have to make gravy. It doesn't just come. (laughs) (laughs) You have to make it. It takes some work. Our our friend, the Lollipop, sent a picture. She said, "This is what I think of when Americans say biscuits and gravy," and it was cookies in like an au jus. Because you know the British gravy is very, yeah. very runny. Mm-hmm. Our gravy biscuits are like cookies, right? Biscuits are cookies. cookies. That's right. Yeah, biscuits yeah. are are cookies. biscuits are cookies. Oh, look at look at uh, Jake has. For those of you at home, Jake has a cat on his lap, not unlike Blofeld. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> or Don Corleone. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Don Corleone. Welcome to my lair, Mister Bond. There it is. One of these days, I may ask you for a favor, and that day may never come. <laughs> Uh, I don't know why Blofeld turned into Dracula there, but that's that's <laughs> blah 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 blah. blah, blah. Ask you for a service that they may never come. Uh, yeah. So, what kind of gravy did you make, Patrick? Talk, walk us through uh, it. I made a turkey gravy. Use the base of the turkey juice that's all left over when you cook your turkey. You add flour, uh, a little bit of stock, and uh, salt, pepper. So, flour would be the pepper. thickening agent. Yeah. And do you would redu- whipping cream as well? You reduce that down? Yep. Cook it down until uh, it thickens up to the thickness you like. You season it to taste. And you're usually pretty good. Wow, really nice. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I learned ju- how to make gravy for my uncle a long time ago. D- Justine, what other gravy did you have? How are there different gravies? I don't understand the question. What other gravies? You got white gravy. You got brown gravy. You got like a tan gravy. There's all kinds of gravies. There's what? pork gravy. 
yeah. pork what gravy. What kind of gravy did you have? I literally don't understand. Chicken gravy. <laughs> Jake, you said the word gravy so many times, it's, it's starting to lose meaning. <laughs> like, 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 I'm saying it in my head, it would go gravy. Is that how you say it? Gravy? Is that how it's pronounced? <laughs> Gravy? Is that what you gravy? Um, uh, I don't know. I had gravy and it was good. I'm not a. I honestly do not judge. I love gravy. I never had a bad gravy. I like KFC gravy. I like El Pollo Loco gravy. I like El Pollo Loco has gravy. Yes. See, I can have the worst kind and still be pretty happy. I'm not kidding. That KFC gravy. Hey, there's something in that KFC gravy. That's something. That is something special. It can't be good for you. It's probably ninety percent sodium. Yeah, it is. It's that. Um, what is it? That cold flow. Remember, Marie Callender is that cold flow. It's all starch. Oh it's man. Like, it's like what they make slime out of. Oh man, I don't know what it, I don't know what it is, but. Hold on, I'm having microphone issues here. I apologize. They, they just pour that into the pot, and they make their gravy from that base. So it's just it's just more fried chicken. With flour, right? Yeah, it's it's yeah. just mm-hmm. more of the fried chicken. I used to be so obsessed with gravy that on Thanksgiving I would pour gravy into a cup and eat Ew. it that way. Ew! Like wow. soup? Love That's too much. That's, That's too much. But you, wow. At that point, you should just be injecting it into your veins. You should just no, be. I think I was like, I was probably like twelve or thirteen when I did that. Just mainlining the gravy. Like, <laughs> just like I don't judge mashed potatoes. I like. The, have you had the ones where you just add water and then you mix it? Yeah, yeah. those are still That's, good to uh, me. Oh no! What AFC? No. AFC mashed potatoes. That watery kind is also good to me. <laughs> the I thing with like, mashed potatoes, you can't really ruin them. Gravy, yes, like, you can. Exactly. I don't. You can ruin mashed potatoes. It's pretty tough. You got to really try to ruin mashed potatoes. You got to really actively try. I'll take it all. It is fine. I'm fine. <laughs> I made a really well, good salmon mashed potato. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you just, you just ruined it. All right, you found a way to ruin them. <laughs> somebody, I, somebody I know. Pork and salmon mash. Yeah. Somebody I know had them, had, were, was gifted, believe it or not, for Thanksgiving. They were gifted a salmon pie. A salmon pie. And they were like, what do I do with this? You're like, making that up. W- no. It, no it, was, it sounds pretty it, good. It was a fish pie. It's yeah. Not, they're not bad. Is that a British thing? I don't know. It sounds it's terrible. Swedish. It's Swedish? Yeah. Wow. That must be but all they it, have. It's like a Norwegian thing, right? <laughs> it, it's God. similar to a chicken pot pie, but it's made with fish. It's not they're not yeah. bad. Patrick, get up on the get up on that mic when you're talking because we want to you have, right, you, have you, not bad. you have important they get up on that pedestal. You have important things to say about a fish pie and we got to talk about. Saying, it. They're not bad. Like it's fish pie is like a chicken pot pie but with fish. Wow. It's, it's basically fish gravy vegetables Ugh. and pastry that's not, not that does not sound good it, it sounds like one it's like um i'm trying to think what i can it sounds like it. a notch above haggis <laughs> 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 it's, like, <laughs> it's like you know food if it's the only thing in your larder you know that's it that's it you know that is a great mm. description of our podcast a notch above haggis <laughs> yeah that's you're the only thing, thing in your larder um, yeah, good thing to have on the sh- on your shirt. Yeah, a notch above haggis. The um, man, oh man, it is. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I could eat fish pie, but uh, you you mentioned chicken pot pie, and in the immortal words yeah. of uh, Jimmy Pardo, uh, pot pie is like soup with a roof. Um, mm, so yeah. it's, it's got a floor and walls too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. A floor and walls. Yeah. Yeah. 
We'll turn this soup house into a soup home. Shout out to my boy. Shout out to my boy, Hidish Patel. He will order, if it's on the menu, he will order a chicken pot pie. Loves it. Loves a chicken pot pie. Have you ever had those? I forget the, that's like a Betty Crocker, like microwavable yeah, pot they're, pies. They come in a little green box. You yeah. You throw it in the microwave real quick. It cooks. Hey, those itself. are good. It burns your good. mouth to fucking shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. If you hate the roof of your mouth, you order a chicken pot pie. See, okay, yeah. so that, just imagine instead of chicken, it's salmon. It's no, no. There's no fucking difference. No. Yeah. There is. There's a difference. There's a big difference. <laughs> There's a difference. Consistency-wise, consistency-wise, I don't want to bite into a pie and have the, the feeling of salmon in my mouth. I guess it's cultural. If you grew up with it, it would be just like, you know, steak and eggs. But we didn't grow up with that. So it's like, like ooh. Spam. I love spam. There you yeah. go. Yeah. I badmouth spam. Ugh. There you go. Spam, 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 spam. Have you had that? that lunch What's that? In the can? No, because cheese doesn't come in cans. Oh, the cheese, so the cheese whiz. Where, <laughs> <laughs> where's my cheese whiz, boy? Where's my cheese whiz, boy? Cheese in a can. Yeah. You know what trips me out? I will eat. I will eat. <laughs> I will eat canned uh, tuna. Uh-huh. No, disgusting. Canned disgusting. tuna. Canned tuna. Yeah, put that put that shit in a tuna sandwich. Oh yeah, love it. Albacore. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, a little albacore love, tuna. Love a little it. Little bit of mayonnaise. But if you where, give, where, but, where but, fish? but if You're you done. if you put canned chicken in front of me, it weirds me out. They have mm. canned chicken. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I mean, that yeah, doesn't yeah. surprise me. That's kind of uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Well. Not a big I difference between that and tuna, but uh, yeah, they're right next to each other on the same aisle. Oh, what you do know? you mean? You, you, what do you mean, Patrick? You just go, you get the ahi, and you cut it yourself. Is that what you do? I just yeah, can tuna. It smells terrible. It is a horrible thing to do to fish. Mm. It does not taste good. It smells. It's good. Listen, you go to any your, meat you have to serve with an ice cream scoop. It's not. Natural. Let me tell you something. Why are you serving tuna with ice cream scoops? Here's what you do, have man. You ever been to Subway and ask for a tuna sandwich? Oh, yeah, they well. scoop it with an ice cream scoop. Yeah. Here's what you do, bro. Here's what you do. That's a Subway. We're not talking about Subway. We're talking about fresh, homemade you go tuna. You go to your cell. You go to your. You go to your Trader Joe's and you get some uh, garlic mustard aioli. All right? There you go. Okay, I'm listening. You get some black olives. You get no, some. You get some. Me. You get some celery. No. You, you, you get some. You get some. You get some. Well, here's what I do, John. I get the straight, uh, the the straight relish, not the sweet relish, just the straight mm. relish, right? Mm. Toss a little of that in there, mix it all together. Mm. Oh, and some and some onions with some. Do you uh, like the fishy taste because, like, that's that's basically what that is. It's just distilled fish taste. Yeah, well, it's tu- but it's tuna because it's tuna. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if you have tuna that is, you know, cooked, yeah, or fresh, yeah. It but how many people can do fresh? Save. How many people can do fresh tuna? Go to the fucking grocery store. <laughs> what am I a millionaire? What am I a millionaire? Yeah. Made I mean, money. As a kid, you know, you're not going to tell your mom I want some seared <laughs> tuna. Yeah, you're going to get it out of the can and on a you know Wonder Bread. Can get I get some I seared ahi? I would like a seared ah. Uh, oh, I forgot. Ahi tuna, please. I forgot. You also dice up some pepperoncinis, some yellow pepperoncinis in there. Ooh, yeah, there you go. And then when you're mixing it, you put a little of the pepperoncini juice in there. Mix it up. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, then a sli- and then a slice of avocado. I'm going to make oh, you yeah. get... Oh, John, are you kidding me? 
Ooh. little sliced Ooh. avocado on your tuna sandwich. Ooh. Ooh, are, you, are you kidding me? <laughs> And then uh, what are those toothpicks with the yellow uh, cellophane? Oh yeah, with a green olive. I'll make you. A, I'll make you a triple, John. I'm going to make you a triple decker uh, tuna avocado club. You're going to think you're eating at Henshaw's. You know what I'm saying? Henshaw's, and you're going to call it a Dagwood. <laughs> you will. Oh man! Welcome to sandwich talk here on the. Uh, yeah. And it really says a lot about Patrick that he doesn't like the taste of fish, so, you know. No, I love the taste of fish. I do mm. not like the taste of fake fish in a can. I think, the fact, that, I think the fact that he likes um, a salmon pie means that Patrick loves fish. He'll even eat it in a pie, for Christ's sake. Yeah. <laughs> you can eat it in a what pie? What's in that can is not fish. Mm. It's not. It's been processed. It's been destroyed. It's World War II fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. Once it came back, it was it just it was never the same. What it's, does that it's, mean? It's after Versailles. That's the kind of fish. <laughs> so can can tuna is fish with PTSD. This is the weirdest fucking conversation. <laughs> hey, you want to, it could be a, we could be talking about the Beatles right now, but no, someone had to bring up tuna sandwiches. Hey, how about that you Beatles know, documentary? It I think all started right, with mashed potatoes. No, it started right. with Thanksgiving talk. How yeah. was the rest of y'all's Thanksgiving? Uh, Jake worked. John, how was yeah. your Thanksgiving? It was great. Uh, I went to Redondo Beach to uh, have dinner with my aunt and my brother. It was just the three of us. And um, I have to, yeah, it was wonderful. I have to agree with Justine, though. I've never met a mashed potato I didn't like, whether it was, yeah. whether it was real, you know, like real potatoes mashed up fresh or flakes or frozen or whatever it is. I love mashed potatoes. Yep. Yeah. We can Bubba Gump this all day. I will <laughs> Bubba agree. Gump it. <laughs> Uh, garlic yeah, mash, like, uh, buttered mash, yeah. uh, anyway, you like a anyway, loaded like, mash, loaded mashed. Yep. 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 <laughs> and of course, corn mash. You can't screw up. You can't screw up potatoes. That's, that's impossible. Pretty tough. You can make them too runny if you really go nuts or you can make them too lumpy, but pretty tough to ruin mashed potatoes. I can still get down with a lumpy mashed potato. <laughs> down with the lumpy mashed potatoes. It's, it's like, it's like a little treasure. It's like little nuggets of starch. In there, mm-hmm. just ready to be. So, Mario, were you able to do it like the next day? Oh, I, I came home and I had a. Well, wait, let me, I want to ask Jake. Jake, did you. How'd you do? Did you do okay? You make some money? Uh, I did okay. Yeah. Were people nice I to did you? Fine. Uh, kind of. I got, I got some really shitty tips. Ugh. Really? On Thanksgiving? Oh, yeah. God, that should be the day that you just no, like out no. of guilt even. You, you know the what holiday the holiday season people is out. the season to just jip the fuck out of your server. Maybe that's, people that's have people less do. money right now or they're not eating. It's out. also here's what it is. It's people that don't usually go out go yeah. out this time of year. Yeah, so it's I don't not know. it's not people that tip uh regularly. It's but, that Jonathan Gold thing. It's like if you've got enough to eat out, you've got enough to tip properly. <laughs> you know, it's like Yeah. I don't know. He just had yeah. this thing that no matter what, if you're if you're if you can do it, then you can do. You can afford twenty percent of whatever it is. But know? like, yeah. but like Jake likes to point out, it's the holiday season. So whoop de doo, and dickery duck, yeah. and don't forget to stiff your server. As much, <laughs> as, much as I love to get ten dollars on a two hundred dollar check. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, you know, you they just lock out the zeros, right? That's how you tip. Yeah. <laughs> Agony. I love when you see online how like they always have this picture. Oh, this guy left a thousand dollar tip. You know, I love all the responses. The way people just lose their minds. Like you know, like the owners all wait a minute. Does that all go to you? 
it's like they just lose yeah. their mind if it's on a credit card they're like oh I, I don't know if we can process this it's like <laughs> what do you mean what do you mean you can't well you know yeah, right now exactly. we, we we were just yeah. talking about that somebody uh the um uh the disney workers are 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 about to uh they're 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 getting floated a new contract and like the oh, yeah. overwhelming uh, majority of the disney workers are rejecting this contract so we'll see what happens we'll see maybe what happens yeah maybe uh what do you wait what do you mean contract what what well it's a it's they're not union but they have a an agreement that they'll get paid a certain amount and the uh the 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 disney employees it's like like eighty percent of the. Is this hotel only though? No, 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 no. This is the. This is the. Food? This is Disney Parks. Oh, okay, because I had to pay for Union, and, and I didn't want to. Well, you know what Dis. You know what Disney I was did. Forced into it. You know. You know what Disney did during co. Oh, you you didn't want to pay for the Union. No. Why is that? I didn't use them. You don't want your rights protected. Do they protect your rights? Uh, they usually just have you dodge the people most of the time. What do you mean? Uh, I think I had like one friend that was constantly, or would go to the union, and they would be like, "Okay, yeah," and, I, and he would just dodge the managers all day. Hmm. What does that mean? Who would dodge the managers? Yeah, like, I don't, I don't understand. So they couldn't pull him to an office. If they couldn't get him to the office, they couldn't sit down and talk to him. So he just kept Jesus, <laughs> God, that's awful. Oh A yeah. So like Disney that. Disney cast members will vote to strike or accept. Disney's latest contract offer on December 3rd. Uh, Disney wow. offered a raise of 50 cents. Wow. 50 wow, cents. they always gave me like a dollar raise. Mm-hmm. They lost money. They lost I don't know which, which cast members are union, though. Foods. Oh, really? Yes, I had to pay for union. <laughs> Non-actors. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's weird. Well, what Disney did to avoid uh, uh, more trouble with the union, because they had a lot of unions. If you guys were ever ro- drove by the Paradise Pier Hotel, there, there was always the hotel union trying to get them hotel, to. Yeah. yeah. So what Disney did is uh, th- w- during COVID, they closed all of their restaurants in the hotels. And they're wow. going to they're gonna replace them with outside vendors. So they, they don't have to. Uh, yeah, they're really. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So like, so just avoid dealing with it all together. Yeah, so like Steakhouse Fifty Five, and uh, the one, a couple of the other restaurants on premises closed down, so they don't have to uh, deal with the unions. Wow, that's hardcore. Yeah, and depending on you know, I mean, you know, whether or not you're a Woody, no, just, whether or not you're a Woody Guthrie fan, really will that, that'll that'll shade how you uh, how you feel about that. <laughs> so you go, this is the hotel scab. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah. Lovely. I, yeah, Thanksgiving was great. I had a nice little meal. Uh, my wife cooked a fantastic meal, and when I got home, I had it, and I ate in silence, alone, and uh, oh, with just the cat to bother me. And uh, it was wow. great. It was great. I just stared at my plate, and then I went to bed. But yeah, it was the food was great. I loved it. It was fantastic. Uh, but more importantly than Thanksgiving, John, yes, Beatles documentary. <laughs> Go. Was it lumpy? Go. Well, I enjoyed it, but to put it very briefly, you watched all will, three. You watched all three three episodes. I watched all three, which is almost eight hours worth of content. Eight hours, it, yeah. 
I did it uh, consecutively. I just did it like each night. I did one episode. I guess that's the way they showed it originally. Mm-hmm. You had to like watch, you know, twenty fifth, twenty sixth, twenty seventh. Each night was just one episode. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll keep this brief. I will say that if you're a Beatle fan, you're going to eat it up because my God, it's um, like you're fly on the wall. You get to see him write these songs in the studio. Start with a riff, come up with the words, uh, rehearse it, perform it. And um, it's the most Beatles footage you're ever going to see. This was like uh, an amazing thing, considering that Let It Be was like two hours. And this is like just about eight hours. So it's really, you know, the film that was lurking (laughs) around the corner from the previous film. And it was out of 60 hours of footage, as they explain in the the beginning of the documentary. And only somebody like Peter Jackson could have done it. A, he's a Beatle fan. B, he's not afraid to make some epic that's, you know, hour upon hour of content. He obviously has no problem spending all day in an, uh, in an editing bay. And uh, he was up to the task. And uh, I enjoyed it. But I do understand, after watching just like the first episode, I thought, if you're not into the Beatles, this is way too much information. It's way too much footage. I thought, if you're a casual fan, this is going to seem like a slog. That first episode, you're just going, wow, you know, it's like they keep rehearsing the same song. And I can understand that this could be like a little too much Beatles if you weren't a big fan. If you are a fan, by the time they uh, get to the second episode, they get out of Shepperton Studios into the Apple Studios. Twicking them. Twicking them. What did I say? Shepperton? Mm -hmm. They started twicking them. And then what happens is it's not really conducive (laughs) to uh, rehearsing and writing. So they said, let's move it to our headquarters at, at Apple. And they bring in everything they need, and it's much more intimate. And they say, okay, this is better. And, and really, it takes a turn. If you're only up to, like, episode two, that's where the whole thing takes a turn for the better. And then Billy Preston shows up, and they all sort of perk up because they're kind of sniping at each other. They're kind of, you know, they've been together, like, ten years. They're starting to kind of, like, annoy each other. <laughs> and they're under the gun. They've got to finish this thing in about, you know, four weeks. And they... Billy Preston comes in, and uh, he starts playing this brand-new electric piano, and they all light up. They're like, oh, this is what we need. We, you know, this is like a shot in the arm. This guy's like a, a breath of fresh air, and he's so good. He's such a great, uh, you know, natural, gifted musician on that electric piano. Mm-hmm. And so from then on, it really takes a whole different direction. I can't wait to see what you think of the, uh, of the, uh, the second half. But I enjoyed it. I've, you know, Let It Be has never been available uh, officially, you can find it as a bootleg. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, it never really came out properly. It was on VHS for a few years. Never came out on Blu-ray or DVD. And um, so I've got memories of seeing it in a theater. It was kind of grainy. It had been blown up from uh, 16 millimeter to 35 millimeter, and it was just you know it wasn't. It was kind of like a downer. And all the footage is them sort of like sniping at each other and kind of arguing. And what this does is show you a fuller picture. There is still arguing, but you also see them having a lot of fun. Yeah. They're joking around. They're like brothers. They're making jokes and making references to, that you could only do like with your brothers. They've been comrades in arms for almost 10 years by this point. And they know they're the only four that know what it's like to be under the, you know, in the goldfish bowl, you know, <laughs> all the time, like yeah. they have been. And you can tell that they still enjoy each other's company when things are running smoothly. And uh, when they're on their game, they have a lot of fun playing. You can tell playing together is still pretty cool once they're on their game and they've finished sort of, you know, arguing with each other. You can tell that there's a lot of joy, especially by the time they get on the rooftop. It's just the idea that that's okay. We've been 
slogging through these numbers for four weeks. Now we just get to go out there and just perform them. It's almost like beside the point, if anybody else is going to hear it, they're up there playing and they're just having a good time, you know? So, so for me, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. As a Beatle fan, I'm really digging it. But I can understand if you're a casual fan, eight hours might seem like a little too much <laughs> Beatles, you know? Uh, I, you know, I was, like, I was telling you, <clears throat> I'm about halfway through the second episode. And for me, the most fascinating stuff is all of the uh, the stuff where they're actually creating the music and putting it out there and, and figuring it out. What I didn't, yeah. what I don't need is for me, there's no stakes in them. Uh, we all know they end up performing on the roof. So yeah. the endless conversations they have about let's do it in, in, uh, I think they were going to do it in Tunisia or something. Uh, let's do it here at, by the ocean. And those conversations are just pointless to me. Um, I only, you could have done it once and then you could have gone, Oh, that was interesting. They, they had this idea to do it by the ocean and that didn't work out, but it keeps coming up. They keep trying to, you know, push. Mario, did you see why it's not them bringing it up? No. It's like, they don't want to, they don't really want to do it, but the management is like, come on, something big. That's put you in the Coliseum. And they're like, Oh, we don't really want to do it. That's what I mean. You didn't need, you you, do. It didn't, didn't add anything to the movie aside. Maybe give it to, maybe give it some context as why, why they were so annoyed. But for yeah. me, yeah. I could have done with like three less conversations about, well, we yeah. got to, yeah. and you can see why it pisses them off. You know, you can see why yeah. they're like, yeah. they're like, hey, we're trying to put this album together. You guys yeah. figure that out and we're going to, yeah. we're trying to play. But I could have yeah. done with about 30 minutes less of that and the, the uh, annoying uh, movie director. Uh, and, he, and he is annoying. And, you know, it's almost too much of everything. At eight hours, even for a fan, it's almost too much of everything. But, like you said, the joy of seeing them work out a song right before your eyes. What a, what I, would have, I would have loved to have seen this, like, like for a revolver. To have cameras rolling 24-7 while they're doing revolver would have been the greatest. It's too bad this isn't, like, in my opinion, not one of their better albums, you know. That's why I wanted to get your opinion on this, because... Yeah. I really thought that in this movie, in this, what we're seeing at this point in the whole thing, Paul is the creative, he's the driving force behind the band. So there are, yeah. there's actually a scene where you see him start, um, uh, he starts working on, on get back when John is late, he starts yeah. working it out on the base with George and Ringo, right? Just kind of, it comes, yeah. it pops right out of Paul's head. I know it's amazing. And then he does the same thing with Let It Be. You see him kind of noodling around with Let It Be. Yeah. And then you know it flashes the the name of the song and it's like it says uh you know Get Back by Lennon and McCartney and I'm like, "Well, Lennon didn't do anything. Like this is Paul's song, you know, but, but you know the story behind that. When they first formed back in like 62, they were the main songwriters and they both made an agreement. They both said, "You know, from here on out, whoever writes it, we're kind of helping each other." Back in the old days, they kind of were like writing nose to nose and one yeah. would help. If one had half a song, the other one would help him finish it. At the beginning, they said, well, we're doing, you know, how about we just make them all Lennon, McCartney, McCartney, Lennon, however you want to phrase it. Whatever we do, we'll give credit to both of us because we're both doing, you know, the work. And that was way back when they were nobodies. They just made that decision. They said, we're the writers. Let's just say whatever goes out there, we put both our names on it. Mm-hmm. So by this time, McCartney is doing most of the heavy lifting. Yeah, I wanted to, what I wanted, I wanted to know in the early days, like when they were doing Rubber Soul and those albums, is yeah. this the way they were, were they just coming up with these ideas and kind of working them out as they went? Or was somebody writing it down 
And then back in the old days, they never just sat down at a typewriter and says, oh, you know, it wasn't like Rogers and Hart or Oscars and Hammerstein. They would kind of like write what they had, bring it into the studio and say, let's kind of cobble it together. The thing that was different, you will probably notice some references to Brian Epstein. They had they were like kids when they started. And Brian Epstein was like the grown up. And he says, and there was always a deadline. You couldn't like spend as much time as they're spending after they stopped touring. When they were touring, they said, well, we got like two weeks to get this album together. What do you got? Or like, hey, we got to put a single out. What do you got? And he was the one cracking the whip. And they were kind of like novices. So they said, okay. Now, by this time, they're grown men. Brian Epstein died right after Sgt. Pepper. And Lennon has said, that's when we knew, I knew we were fucked because there's nobody. We're now left to our own devices. We don't really have a manager. We don't have to be cracking the whip. We kind of work when we want to. It was better when we had a guy saying, look, you owe them an album or look, you can't go to, you can't get to Christmas without something in the stores. And when he was gone, they're kind of like, you can tell George and John would rather just like <laughs> maybe not be there. And Paul's like, why do I have to be the guy that says everybody show up? Yeah. And we're going to do it, you know, because he wants to, you know, he doesn't want to be the boss, but he's the only one who seems interested in doing this by, by deadline. And the rest of them are kind of like, yeah, whatever, you know? So Justine, you watching, you watching this, you watch the whole thing, right? Yes. What, like, wh- how big of a Beatles fan were you before uh, before watching the, the documentary? And did it change your opinion? Um, I was a fan. I watched it with my dad every episode, so it was fun to watch it with him. Mm-hmm. The only thing was, um, like, I just, because I saw another documentary, I believe that Lennon's son was part of that one when I watched it. Do you remember that? I was talking about it with Yoko Ono. Yes. Oh, it, it's when yeah. he gets shot. Yeah. Uh, I was watching that one because it was like footage of what they had. Um, so it was kind of the Yoko Ono and the George Harrison and just seeing all of that, you're just, okay, so I guess it's kind of a mutual thing against all of them to just end it. <laughs> That's the only thing that changed my mind about the thing, but, um, I enjoyed watching it with my dad because he was, there was a lot of songs that played that I didn't know. A lot. A lot of songs. And I just asked my dad, I was like, is this their song or are they just singing someone else's song? What is this? And um, he's like, no, it's such a song. And he was just telling me all about it. And I don't know. I enjoyed watching it just because it was something to watch with my dad. And he was excited to see it. And he's like, I love the Beatles, so I don't mind watching two hours of this. I got a little bored. Like I started walking away from the TV and doing other things. um, It's long. It's really long. But it was cool when he was coming up with uh, Get Back. It was really good. Um, uh, Did you see his eyes light up when Billy Preston gets behind the keyboard and starts putting in these like keyboard fills? Their eyes just light up like, oh, my God, that's what we needed. We needed like a fifth (laughs) sound, you know. And then at the end, it's, I, mean, I don't know, I liked it. It was like, it was just, yeah, this is where we wanted to be, and I'm, I'm glad to watch it. It was cool. I've never seen footage of them on the roof. so There you go. So, and, you know, that's the answer to this, is a lot of people haven't seen that. For people that are my age or Mario's age, we've, we've all kind of seen that. Oh, they're there up on the roof. For a lot of kids, this will be like uh, kind of news, like, oh, they did like one last hurrah yeah. up there. I know about it. I've heard about it. I've seen it. It was in... Um, yeah. Across the universe, they did it to like an homage to that, but I've just never seen it. Um, it looks so cool up there. I don't know why Ringo <laughs> was wearing a red 
I don't know, rain jackets. Oh, but he looks well, like- you, see all, you see all that purple stuff that George is wearing? I mean, the fashion yeah. was different back then. <sighs> I'll tell you he what. Well, and the people day. on the streets, yeah. it's so cool. Like, my mom, when we were watching it, she's like, I wonder if someone's like, that's my mom right there or my yeah. grandma. It's yeah. super cool. What's great is, uh, I'll tell you what, Ringo ends up looking the best out of all of them. Uh, sure. He shows up early, shows he's yeah. there every day when they're not sure the way things are going to go. He does not rock the boat. He does whatever they tell him. He's like, I'm here to do what you guys need, you know? And, that you know, it's really, the, the part that really got to me, it's heartbreaking. I was really heartbroken for George Harrison, who's oh, just, yeah. just kind of trying to find his place. And you can see that, I don't know, maybe this was me or Justine or John, if you guys could, um, I feel like at this point anyway, John was very dismissive of George. Um, and then he was also, it seemed he was a little bit jealous of Paul's ability to just knock a song out because, yeah. because yeah. Paul would do this thing and then John would come up and do it in like a silly voice or kind of not take it seriously. And that was his kind of way of like diminishing what I felt like Paul had done. Sure. And then I love the scene where, uh, George, he's, he's, he's singing, I me mine. And George goes, and John says something like, well, you know, we're a rock and roll band, right? And George says, I don't give a fuck if you like it or not. I was like, yeah, good for you. Good for you, George Harrison. Good that's for why he walked out. I don't know if you've got to that part yet. He oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm at the part. Like I said, they, they, they just got to Apple and they're, they're crazy. The magic Alex guy screwed him again because he yeah. made a, a horrible studio. And now yeah. they had to call George Martin. And what I really thought was great, John, was in the very beginning. I don't know if you caught it. Uh, they're, they're complaining about not having an eight track recorder. And he says, and then <laughs> Paul says, Paul says, well, EMI, the Beach Boys have one. The Beach yeah. Boys have one. I don't understand why. Yeah. So, And they lashed two four tracks together. Yeah. <laughs> we lashed four, you know, and they were always ahead of the curve. That's the thing. The Beatles always had the best equipment. You could see them unboxing that stuff. They're taking like electric pianos, that Leslie uh, cabinet speaker. Mm-hmm. You know, they always had, by that time, they're making money. So whatever they wanted, they just said, hey, you know, George Martin, here's what we need. Mm -hmm. And they, okay, no problem. You know, first album they did back in 63, they did it in one day. So that's the difference. When they first started out, they said, great, you haven't proven yourself yet. You have one day to get this album out. Well, we we by the time they get the rubber sole, they got like maybe two weeks. So now it's like, eh, take all the time you want. White album. They took all the time they wanted. We, you know? we, we talked about that. In the shadow of the Beatles, bands like the Rolling Stones and the Kinks, they would just kind of throw them, like, here, make a record and make as many as you can because we don't know if this is just a flash in the pan or not. And this so could be over in a year. This could be over in a year. So it's just like, you're going to record three albums in one year. And, yeah, uh, and, the, and the thing they heard the most often was, it's good enough. Ray Davies used to say, we could have added a little of this, maybe a little more harpsichord. And they'd say, their manager or producer would say, it's good enough. And with the Beatles, once they got some success and, and they were making some money for everybody, people like George Martin would say, well, take your time. What do you, what do you really need? We'll uh, get it for you. Yeah, yeah. By the time they're making big bucks, they're just like, okay, what do you need? You know, I, four I, weeks, you know? I, I really thought it was fascinating to watch the, the creative process. And again, not being a Beatles fan, to me, it's yeah. still uh, – but I was telling you before, John, I think this is the, the genius of this, this documentary is the way Peter Jackson put it together is – Everybody comes into it with a certain view of the Beatles that they have, right? And so right. that's this will either this is going to confirm what you already think, 
and it works that way for everybody. If you're if you're not a big fan of the Beatles, or you think that oh well, these guys are it's a bunch of egos, and, and you're definitely going to see that part of it. But if you also if you're a huge Beatles fan, you think well, these guys are they're beleaguered by this point. They've been together ten years, and they're almost sick of each other. This is going to speak to that as well. So I, 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 I agree. I agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. If you if you come in a fan, you're you're going to get you know everything you want to see, everything you've always heard about. And if you're kind of annoyed with the Beatles, you're going to get that too. You're going to go, God, what a bunch of egos, <laughs> what a bunch of backbiters. So you're right. Whatever you bring to the table, you're going to get more of it. Yeah. And the thing I cannot believe, somebody told me that there's even more. When he puts this on Blu-ray, there's even more footage. I thought, how is that even possible? Well, I I don't even know if I need to see more. It's like there's more. You know, there be (laughs) the only part that, and I don't know if Justine felt this way. The only part that made me uncomfortable was you obviously see the break between Paul and John, and John's kind of withdrawing. And a lot of people say that this is when John started his heroin addiction. Like this was the start of that. You know, we can't confirm or deny it, but he definitely seems detached. Yeah. Um. The the most uncomfortable part of this conversation is. uh, well, the most uncomfortable part of the thing is when they record uh, they, a conversation between uh, jo- uh, Paul and John. They're kind of having it out over George, and yeah. uh, they didn't know they were being recorded. It was a flower in a micro. It was a, a flower pot with a microphone stuck in it. Uh, yeah. That was really I, I, kind of uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable with that, and I thought, I wonder. You know, they kind of told him to do what he wanted to do and then show him what they what he had. And I wondered what Paul thought. He's the only one, you know, he's the only one left alive besides Ringo. I thought, what did Paul think? He might not have even known that. You know, this was like going through Peter Jackson said they went through all this uh not just video, but a lot of audio. And I wonder if I bet you Paul didn't even know that. I wonder how Peter Jackson presented that. Like, did you know that there was a bug in the flower pot when you're in the cafeteria talking to John? Justin, did you catch wonder, that part? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. When I watched it, I was like, "This just doesn't seem right." Yeah, it that's felt kind of that, that is like uh, a broach of privacy. Yeah, it felt kind of yucky. <laughs> it felt kind of yucky, you know. And then it's kind of sad because they're, you know, they're both and they're. It's funny because they're both talking, but they're not listening to each other at yeah. that point. And you, they're both and they're both insecure. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, you're right. It feels like you're eavesdropping on something you shouldn't be listening to, even at this late date. Yeah, I thought. That was a decision Peter Jackson could have said, well, this is not right because they didn't know they were being taped. So I guess Paul must have given it the okay. Sure. Because at this point, they had final okay, and he could have said, well, I'm not comfortable with that. But if you read between the lines, that little little conversation they had, uh, Paul says, you know, you used to be the boss. And it was true. The first couple years in the Beatles, John had uh, kind of the most say. He was the guy that put the band together. He's kind of the leader. A lot of the singles were John songs. Uh, Hard Day's Night and Help, the title songs, those are both John songs. By the time you get to like Revolver and Sgt. Pepper, there's a shift in the balance of power. And Paul is writing more, and he's writing more of the hits, and so it's a whole different sort of thing. And you're right, by the time we get to Let It Be, John's not even sure he wants to do it. He's not sure how he feels about Paul doing all the all the big songs. So it's uh, it's an interesting thing to watch the uh, dynamics between the two of them we have to we're gonna wrap it up because we're about to break uh <laughs> on the uh no well because we're, we have three minutes left on the on the meat no i'm just i i, I said i'll keep this brief and but it's now, uh, like an hour an i didn't want to say that the, the the i thought it was awesome how how prescient paul was in talking about he said like in 50 years they're going to talk about how 
how the Beatles broke up because Yoko Ono sat on an amp and yeah. uh, it was kind of like whether or not it's true. And, and that's you can take away your, your opinion of Yoko, of Yoko will either be uh, confirmed or or uh, rejected. So in the, that documentary I watched, George Harrison's in it like all the time with John Lennon. OK. Ah. All right. Well, I want, to know the, I want to know the name of that. I want to know the name of that, Justine. We're going to that documentary. We'll come back uh, next week when I finish it, John, and we'll 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 uh, we'll talk more about it. But I I'm enjoying it. It's fascinating, honestly. Uh, I, I think you can see that uh, my last shot on this is you can see Yoko doesn't do much of anything. And they say that's a lot of people are going, oh, gee, they talk about Yoko breaking up the Beatles. She's not doing much. She's just sitting in the corner reading the paper. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like, but I think it was her influence more than. Anything she actually did. I think it was John would have rather, and it's, it's, it's obvious, John would have rather been hanging out with Yoko than, than yeah. being in the Beatles, and that's really what it was. Yeah. But yeah, uh, all right, sure. that's enough Beatles talk. God, I've got to go throw up now. We will be right back. I'm kidding. It's great. You should watch it. Wow. Whether you're a fan or not, watch it, Jake. I want it all week. Okay. Next week. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We'll be right back after, these, after this message. Yeah, we're back. Guys, what a wonderful break. Uh, <laughs> we're going to do trivia now. It's trivia time. We're starting with oh, John. Yeah. We're going to play a little game called uh, I Should Have Known That. Get ready, everybody. The order today will be John, Jake, Justine, Patrick. John, Jake, Justine, Patrick. John, how many chambers is the heart divided into? Mm, I'll say four. Correct. Jake, what is a supernova? A supernova? Supernova. It's, uh, God, it's when a star implodes. Well, I'll I'll give you, explodes, there we go. Uh, A black hole would be an uh, an implosion. Implosion. Uh, Justine, what is the name of the killer in the movie series Friday the 13th? What is the name of the killer in the movie series Friday the 13th? Friday the 13th is about <laughs> Halloween. No, Halloween is Halloween. Yeah. Halloween. Friday, Halloween. Friday the 13th is about Friday the 13th. Yeah. Is about Friday the 13th and there's a killer. <laughs> Look at Patrick. Yeah. yeah. What's the killer's name? Um, it's not Mike Myers. Nope. It's not Freddy Krueger because he goes into your sleep, so that's like Dreamland or something. Yeah, that's Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. It's not... Uh... Patrick, who is the drummer of Motley Crue and father of two children <laughs> with Pamela Anderson? Tommy the answer Lee was Jones. Jason, by the way. I'm sorry, what did you say? Tommy Lee Jones. Incorrect. Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee. Okay. No, no, it's fine. You're right. I said Jones. You're, you're good. What is London's most famous shopping street called, John? What is London's most famous shopping street called? Uh, is it Carnaby Street? It is not. That's what I would have thought. It's Oxford Street. Mm. How could uh, you ever know that? Piccadilly. Uh, now pick a, Piccadilly Lane. Yeah. Jake, what is the color? What color is the S symbol? What color is the S emblem that Superman has on his chest? What color is it? Mm-hmm. What color is the S on his chest? Yes, it's red. 
It's correct. Jake, you win. You're the big winner. Whoa. Whoa, I did it. How do you feel, man? I feel good. I feel like a winner. Real quick, did anybody watch Hawkeye? Anybody nope. watch it? Nope. No, no interest. Didn't have time. Not a single one. It's good. Not a single one. <laughs> it's worth it. It's fun. <laughs> one fuck. Fun. I, I, I plan on it. I plan on it, but um, I, don't. I don't feel like Not waiting for episodes. It's fun. You know what? You're right. It's fun. Uh, but you know, two weeks have passed. Well, they dropped it. They dropped you know two episodes. Of the they gave you two episodes right on Thanksgiving, and it's like I would have rather had another episode last week because I'm like, okay, well, give me give me more of this. Uh, like I said, very very low stakes, but very fun. Very well done. Kate Kate Bishop's very well done. They kind of. Uh, switch swap the characters uh so she's the one that finds the dog as opposed to him being you know the guy with the dog and living in above the Spoilers. pizza joint but yeah uh no it, that's not a major plot point but yeah it's good uh the good chemistry good chemistry so check it out uh hawkeye and then john i told you i rewatched all of the uh oh big news we got to say a friend of the show hob the troll uh came out with a christmas ep uh, it. it is available on Bandcamp. <laughs> it is available on Bandcamp, and I'm mad at myself for not uh, having the name of it here. Let me let me see if I can find I it real that. quick. Um, I'm gonna wait till Friday to pick it up because if you buy things on Friday on Bandcamp, a hundred percent of the the proceeds go to um, uh, they go to the uh, to to the artist. So make sure. Let me see. I will find the name of it really quickly. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, the I will tell you the name, the, the name of the first track is uh, "Wake Me Up Before You Go Ho Ho." So that's all I'm going to tell you. Uh, it's "Troll the Ancient Yuletide Carols Volume Two by Hob the Troll." Is uh, what that's is great. It's, and it's on. That's amazing. It's on Bandcamp, and uh, yeah, it's uh, "Wake Me Up Before You Go Ho Ho." Hooray for Santa Claus! Wombling Merry Christmas, and Oh Hob the Troll. So four. Christmas tracks to share with your friends. Uh, this this when you're when you're uh, when you're when you're going a wassailing. So check that out, please, 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 please. And you uh, can all hum along with your um, trademarked golden Hob the Troll kazoo. Yes. Where is my golden Hob the Troll kazoo? Right. <laughs> oh, here we go. We almost started the Digital Movie Club without it. Thank you for your reminder, Jake. That's what I'm here for. Uh, John, I told you I rewatched all the Bond movies after I watched uh, No Time to Die. I went back. Wow. And, I went back and watched them all. I was in the hankering to oh, watch them all. That's cool. Uh, I will say that in hindsight, first of all, kudos to the team for making five movies that are one cohesive story, which had never been done in a Bond movie before. Right. Um, Skyfall is oddly enough, it's still my favorite, but it's the one that they kind of had to shoehorn the Spectre story into because it didn't really, mm. it was more about right. M, but then M ends up being the one that kind of gets Bond on. She, she knew that Spectre was out there and, you know, she had the bigger picture where Bond didn't. So, um, yeah, she's kind of the impetus. And, uh, what our friend friend of the show, Pat Francis, host of the Rock Solid podcast, said about uh, Quantum of Solace is that he said if that thing were edited better, it would be amazing because it really picks – it's the only movie that picks up where the other one leaves off and continues because they kind of yeah. do that with – they kind of do that with Diamonds Are Forever. He He's out for vengeance uh, for his dead wife in the beginning of Diamonds Are Forever. But it doesn't right. make sense because it's not Donald Pleasance he's after and it's Sean Connery yeah, it's instead not- of George. <laughs> yeah. So – 
but that movie is so poorly edited that it kind of ruins. There's a lot of action in it. It's great. It's the only one that comes in under two hours. It really should be better, but it's the weakest of all because they just decided to go with nothing but jump cuts. I don't know who the director was. I don't think he ever did another James Bond movie. It wasn't uh, because, uh, God, let's see, Spectre and Skyfall was, um, I forgot his name. Um, Sam Mendes. Who is that? Sam Mendes. Yeah. And uh, whoever did Casino Royale just did a bang-up job. But um, I don't know. Whoever did Quantum of Solace, I would love to see another cut. <laughs> you know, if somebody could get in there, like when they cut, um, you know, Phantom Menace and they took out all the Jar Jar Binks stuff. Sure. I'd love for somebody to uh, to re-edit Quantum of Solace and see if they can make a better movie out of it. And then what? what also, the villain there is very weak. Uh, kind of looks like a Muppet. Um, yeah. But uh, so that that kind of hurt, hurts it. I you know the, the the movie that came out looking the best was Spectre. I like that much better upon rewatching it. Um, mm-hmm. it. The only thing that hurts is is that whole thing about Blofeld and Bond knowing each other when they were growing up, which is just, yeah, that's kind of which is I, dumb, that's unbelievable. Yeah, you can't believe that which, for a second. Which, yeah. which, which sinks it. But uh, I forgot that uh, oh the girl's name. Um, she she ends up being the. In two, she she she's the the one that he falls in love with after Vesper. Oh, uh, in, Leia Leia Suv, um Yeah, Sado. Uh, Leia. Yeah, that's it, Leia Sado. I yeah. forgot she was the assassin in Ghost Protocol, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. She's the uh, the cold blooded assassin wow. in the beginning. So coincidence? Uh, coincidence? I don't think so. They picked her up from the heavily wildly popular. Uh, uh, Mission Impossible series, but yeah, as a you you see these movies as a response to kind of Mission Impossible and especially uh, the Jason Bourne movies where Bond it's more sure. realistic. Um, but I'm yeah. telling you, after watching them all back to back, I I gotta put I gotta put Craig up there at least even with Sean Connery. I got I agree. I, I gotta put him up there I, at least even, if I not agree. if not a very close second, very close. Yeah, I, I mean that's quite an achievement. The fact that he's as good as Connery—that's quite an achievement. You yeah, know? yeah, that's that's no uh, that's no mean feat, as they would say. Yeah, but uh, and you could say that it's a it's a miracle that Connery's hold up as well as they do, being that they're fifty years old, sure, or sixty years old. Yeah. it's kind of amazing that like From Russia with Love still holds up. That he's still a great Bond after all these years. Yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, that says something. But you know what? It's time now for the Digital Movie Club, guys. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> I'm getting pretty good with that thing. Uh, so, Patrick, don't read the synopsis. Give us, give us, give us the basic. Give us the 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 year was made. We're gonna do something different this year. This this right. this today. Last, Last of the Mohicans mm-hmm. released in uh, 1992 on September 25th, directed by Michael Mann. Got a 7.7 on an IMDb and a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes with a budget of $40 million estimated, grossed worldwide $75.5 million. $75.5 million. So almost Probably double. important to note, music was done by Trevor Jones and Randy Eldman. Uh, we, we're going to talk about that score. We're going to talk about it. Uh, but uh, very quickly, what we're going to start doing now is John, uh, uh, Jake made a snoring noise. Um, was it the fact that they actually used instrumentation as opposed to like a Danny Elfman who's just using a tuba? 
Is it, yeah, is that is that what bored you? Okay. Uh, so what we're gonna do from now on, we have a new thing we're gonna do is we are going to pick one person every week at random to rehash the plot in three or four sentences, just kind of rehash the plot. And today, the random, and then we're gonna compare it to you know, an, an actual plot synopsis. So, uh, today's random, completely random. On, we went wait, to, wait, wait, wait. What? what's our permanently assigned numbers? So we know. If we oh no, you never know. I, Cause it's a random list. So I just put your names in and then it, oh, it, it randomizes the I list. Wanna, I want a number. I, I need to, I need to be no, you're, here. you're a man, not a number. I am a machine. Nope. So I'm putting it in right now. I'm going to yeah. show you. I'm putting in Justine, Jake, John, Patrick. Mario. Nope. I don't do it. Mario. <laughs> I don't do it. And number one. Let's see if you can see it. Number one, Jake. This is cheating. This is this is not. I, I totally I randomized I it. it. All right. I don't believe it. It's random.org. Try it out. I don't believe that. Random.org. Give us your synopsis, Jake. It is a movie about the last Mohicans. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Who, no, who, in which, you know in which they get thrown into. Thumb, you can't use the title <laughs> of your synopsis. Kiss my ass. They're the Mohi. They are they not the last Mohicans? I don't give a shit. That's cheating. Uh, a father, his son, and adopted son, who are thrown in the middle of the French Indian War. Dang, that's. Are you reading this? No. That's pretty. That's that. You know what? I will accept that's that. That's all I got. I will accept that. It's a it's a it's a synopsis. Stuff happens, remember. romance things, people die, war cries are yelled. <laughs> are there war cries? Yes. All right, here we go. Made. Last of the Mohicans is a here we go. I'm gonna read the this is the Wikipedia entry. Last of the Mohicans is a 1992 epic historical drama set in, in 1757 during the French and Indian War. It was co-directed and written by Michael Mann. It was based on James Fenmore Cooper's 1826 novel, Last of the Mohicans. Um, and George B. Uh, Seitz's 1936 film uh, adaptation, owing more to the film than the novel. Um, it doesn't give us more than that, but... That I was will, not a synopsis. It was not a synopsis. So what, I'm, what we're going to do is we're going to go to the Holy Bible. We're going to go to the Leonard Malton movie guide. Boy, there you go. Boy, this was uh, this was invaluable to me when I was first getting into when I worked at the video store. I discovered many movies through the magic of the Leonard Malton movie guide. Uh, I'm even going to put on my glasses. Oh, Leonard doesn't really give it anything either. It says um, he gives it uh, three and a half stars, though, out of four. Uh, it says, rousing kinetic update of the James Fenroe Cooper classic replete with 90 sensibilities, a potent depiction of violence and a charismatic central performance by Daniel Day-Lewis as Hawkeye. Hey, Hawkeye. Wavers between sweep of historical fiction and smaller canvas of its love story, but never fails to entertain. Oscar winner for best sound screenplay by man and Christopher Crowe from Philip Dunn's uh, script for the 1936 film. Evocative score by Trevor Jones and Randy Edelman. There we go. So they don't really give a synopsis either, but Jake, that was a good synopsis. I, I will accept that because a lot of things happen, but that's the that's the broader uh, the broader. Do you, want, do you want the IMDb synopsis? Yeah, give us the IMDb synopsis. Uh, Break it down. Let's just have the whole show be synopses. Okay. Yeah. Right? 
I'm ready for that. Of a dying Native American tribe, the Mohicans. Uncas, uh-huh. his father, Chingapok. Uh, Chingachgook. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, and his adopted half brother Hawkeye live in a peaceful uh, live in peace alongside British colonists. But when the daughters of a British co- uh, colonel are kidnapped uh, by a traitor scout, Hawkeye and Uncas must rescue them in, uh, in the crossfire of a gruesome military conflict of which they wanted no part, the French-Indian War. All right. There you go. Now, who has read the book? Has anyone read the book? I've started it a couple of times. I think I, I had to read it for American Lit. It was this one, and there's like a whole series. Um, somebody no- once said this was uh, somebody said this was an almost unreadable book. It's it's really <laughs> dense. It's 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 like you it's think Mel if you think Melville's difficult, uh, read some read yourself some James Fenimore Cooper. It's like was is it is it like a historic is it like no it's just the, historical it's, or? well it's just the way it's written you you know you you're not it's not quite up to like modern like Dickens hasn't arrived to like change the way you know popular books are written yet so it's really kind of eighteen what it's 1826, 1826 very dry it's very very dry Cause, you know because also Mark Twain gives things a kick in the ass because yeah he starts writing in uh, the vernacular of the characters so, yeah and you know. so it hasn't really. Yeah, it's 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 very very dry, and the the, the way the style it's written is just very uh, it's very it's hard to describe. Um, it's it it's still it's well. it's still a, a, a carryover from like the 18th century style writing. You know what I mean? Um, kind of like kind of like how Tolkien, where he just kind of just meanders on. No, no, it, it's more of the phrasing. It it doesn't translate well. It's probably mm. description. Mm. It, it shifts from the style of writing is not quite something we use today and is a little bit harder to read. Ah, yeah. It's just a, uh, let's see here. Let me see. And if it's I can... really fucking dry. It's mm. really fucking dry. Mm. So I wonder what the movie, they say this pulls more from the movie than the book. Um, so here it is. I never, I never saw the movie. Let me, let me read this. Story. The hostile armies who lay in the wilds of the Horicon passed in the night of the 9th of August, 1757, much in the manner they would have prevailed had they encountered on the fairest field of Europe. While the conquered were still sullen and dejected, the victims, the victors triumph. But there are limits alike to grief and joy. And long before the dead watches of the morning came, the stillness of those boundless woods was only broken by a by the gay call from some exulting Frenchman of the advanced piquettes or menacing challenge from the fort, which sternly oh, forbade the approach of any hostile footsteps before, but this is one sentence, before the stipulated moment should arrive. So if that's God. your style. I just, I, I, glossed, I just glazed over that. Well, entire. it's also, I didn't have my glasses on. I'm sorry. That was a it's, terrible no, cold read. Not, that's, that was, that was good. It's, it's hard to. <laughs> It's it's a hard book to read. It's not my brain shut off for about a minute. <laughs> it's when, when you think of like what it would like to be read a, to read a book from 1826. It's your and the last of Mohicans proves all of that correct is what I'm it, trying. It to It feels like you're in a history class and the history teacher is trying to read it as a, a uh, use of what happened during the events of that time and it's it's not easy. Yeah, but. Now that's why you have a. I think that's why I love this movie so much because you could not get me to care anything about anything less than like the French Indian War, right? Uh, by the way, which makes you think that it was a war between the French and the Indians. It was not. It was a war between the French and the English, and the uh, Native American tribes were used as 
soldiers on both sides, which is depicted well depicted here. Um, so uh, yeah, so there, you, there's already a mystery. So if you could not get me to care about this if I had to read about it, however, uh, if you make a movie about it like this, like my, with Michael Mann. You know, I'm I'm into it. I'm into it. It so, makes you wonder why Michael Mann wanted to do this. Uh, maybe the movie from the 30s was really rousing. You're thinking, why did Michael Mann want to do a movie of this? And may, maybe it's worth taking a look at the trailer for the for the one from the 30s. What was it? Zachary Scott is in it, and somebody or is it Randolph Scott? I think. Uh, let's look at that. Does anybody have that uh, available? Pulling it up right now. Pull it up. Uh, I'm thinking. Six uh, uh, screenplay was by Philip Dune. Uh, which starred, hold on, hold on, hold on, uh, Randolph Scott, Benny Barnes, and Henry Wilcox. All right, John, you've never seen that one? Never seen it, but I gotta think, Michael Mann was not, I'm sure he wasn't itching to make a movie of the book. He probably had seen the movie and thought, you know, I can only imagine, you know what I mean? Uh, This is the guy that did, you know. Uh, Manhunter and Thief and mm-hmm. Miami Vice mm-hmm. and Heat. It's hard to imagine he was really getting into the book. So maybe the movie was really rousing, you know? Well, they I, used I, a lot of the uh, screenplay, I think. Well, right? for me, I feel like he he really did a good job as far as the... It, like it, it's, it's a hard balance because you have this romance. You kind of have this, this forbidden romance at the, against the backdrop of this, you know, of this conflict. Um and then you're also trying to balance, you know, this is the 90s, so you can't do the noble savage thing that you would have done in the 30s, right? You can't do that now, right? You, you can't, you know, you can't have people speaking pigeon, pigeon English. You have to have, you know, the, the characters have to be three-dimensional. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there's a lot to, to balance on the uh, – he has a lot of, 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 of balls to juggle. There's a lot of balls in the air at the same time. Uh, so, John, had you seen this before? Yeah, I saw it when it came out. Yeah, I'm not sure why, but I did see it when it came out. <laughs> uh, and nobody else had seen this one? All right. So, John, what was it like watching it again? Well, it sure put together well. It sure looks authentic. That can't be easy to do. And I was reading that, you know, costumes and the weaponry and the firearms, all of that was painstakingly recreated because, really, something like this looks pretty silly if it's done like on a TV movie budget, you just go, ah, this is not believable. And this thing, I think they spent about six million building that fort out of wood. You know, yeah. Every time a cannonball hit that fort, and it splintered every which way, they said they spent uh, about six million building that fort. And uh, so, I think this is after he did Miami Vice. He hadn't done a movie in a few years. I think he, that's how he was able to get the budget to make this thing. It was, you know, Miami Vice had been a big hit. And it ran for years. And I think they probably gave him a pretty sizable budget. And it shows this thing really looks authentic. And um, that helps. Also, you know, the lead is very charismatic. Daniel Day-Lewis is always fascinating, no matter who he's playing. Good guy, bad guy, he's always good. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, an odd, it's an odd plot. But the, uh, it works. And the, and the romance works. Uh, and... Um, I forgot about Madeline Stowe. You know, I think the last thing I remember her being in was Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, she had a moment. We were we were just I was talking about this with someone else. There was like there was like ten minutes there where she was she was a huge actress. She was in Twelve Monkeys. She was in. They even did a western with her. Remember Bad Girls? They did like an all female. uh, You know, she like Young Guns. Yeah. Uh, And Stakeout. I think she was in Stakeout Mm -hmm. with uh, 
Yeah, she Amelia, was. Uh, yeah, Richard Dreyfus and Emilio Estevez. So I don't know. She was believable. You know, this is the. I just think this is the really tough thing to make a decent movie out of, and I think they really succeeded. I mean, I don't even know how you film all that running through the forest stuff. You know, that just looked amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's. Uh, I suppose by this time you've got the uh, what do you have, the Steadicam. Yeah. This is the sort of movie I don't know how you would have filmed it before the Steadicam <laughs> because they're really just you know chasing around the forest dodging bullets and arrows and you just go wow you know so i think it's a triumph you know the fact that it was uh as good as it is it yeah really pulls you in especially you know? based on what we just read uh you know yeah, someone my god how do you make a movie out of that <laughs> i mean <laughs> people <the> stipulate <laughs> i mean people people have tried let's talk about you know moby dick is a movie that they've tried to make a couple of times and it's really hard to get it onto the screen right because it's yeah. such a it's from the, because i feel like the the uh, the source material is so dry, it's so heavy, and and it's dated too. A lot of this, um, like Patrick says, it's like the wording is from another century. You mm-hmm. know? It's like, yeah. So that's their number one stumbling block: is how do you make it come alive when it's written like a legal document? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Jake, what did you think, my man? What talk talk us through Last of the Mohicans? You hadn't seen it, you hadn't read the book. Now you're you're watching it. You know, oh, it was. It started off a little, a little slow for me. It definitely picked up in the second half, though. But um, I thought, yeah, production-wise, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, you really felt like you were just kind of plopped down in the middle of, of you know, the French Indian War, which, um, which you knew a lot about already, obviously. Ah, uh, clear. Yes, I knew that there were French and Indian Native Americans in the ward. So yeah, <laughs> I knew all about that. Um, but yeah, I thought the the romance between the sister—I forget her name. Uh, Cora. Cora and Uncas. And Uncas? No, it was, wasn't it Hawkeye? Was there? Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Hawkeye and then yeah. Alice and Uncas. Uncas. Yeah, there we go. God, I'm not gonna lie, man. Uncas, that's a that's a handsome dude. That's a when he. That's, oh, that's a that's a handsome dude right there. When you they, they show those when they show those scenes of him admiring uh, Alice from afar, you're just like, yeah. dude, that is a good looking dude. Uh, the, like, who wouldn't want that? Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. flowing locks and Give the. Me some of that. Uh, um, yeah, I was like, "Wow, this is uh, what, what are you doing going after Daniel Day Lewis? You got this, uh, you got this guy over here. You got the, you know." But uh, that that was just me. Maybe I was just like, "Wow, that's a it's a good looking guy." I'm, I'm not <laughs> ashamed. Walt, to, you're drooling. I'm not ashamed to you say know it. You're drooling. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So, but uh, I, the um, yeah, the relationship between them I thought felt pretty organic, and uh, yeah. The last, uh, the last half hour. Oof, my God. Oh yeah, that was intense. It, that was intense. It takes a turn. It, it definitely takes a turn. And I it, know it was all kind, kind of romanticizing it a little bit. You know, there's conflict, but it wasn't too crazy. And then once they captured the sisters, you're like, oh shit, getting real. That British officer does not fare well here or in Sleepy Hollow. It's the same guy <laughs> in Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> He does not fare well in in either. Uh, he's like, he's like again with again. I gotta wear. I gotta do this. <laughs> this time it was worse. Uh, I think he got it worse this time than he did in uh, Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. Well, but, he. Well, I mean, yeah. At least in Sleepy kinda. Hollow, he was a good person. 
Yes, that's true. Here he was not, you know. Well, you know, I don't even think he was a bad person here. He just didn't, it wasn't, I mean, he obviously had the same. Uh, uh, no, I mean, he straight up lied. He he lied about the what happened at that. Oh, that yeah, that's right. That's right. He, that was a real shitty thing to do. That's true. He has one. He has one moment of redemption at the end of his life. So you gotta give him tip of the hat for that. <laughs> it's like okay, yeah. I'll I'll die since everything's fucked up at the at the moment. You know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. But Jake, or what? Let me ask you a question. Did you learn? I'm gonna ask you a, a dumb question. Did you learn anything from this movie? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the slightest. Nothing. Didn't you learn anything? No. You learn anything about I, French artillery you know, uh, maneuvers or? Uh... I learned that French people bow weird. That's what <laughs> because they're French. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he like they really did. He really did a, like a flourish on that. Justine, there's a lot of eye candy in this movie. Walk us through it. How did you feel about this movie? All right. Daniel J. Lewis is a good-looking man. Yes. So is his brother. Yeah. What? Those eyes, and I was like, ooh, what is he doing with this white chick? <laughs> we need something better. You know? It's like, yeah, what's he doing with this white chick? A, I'm right here. You can be a cuter couple. Yeah. Um, I, I was surprised to see a young, um, what was that show we watched from HBO? In the very beginning, oh, it was so cool to see him. Uh, that nuclear explosion. Chernobyl? Yes, the guy. It was nice to see him there, the, the main character in that. Oh, he what, was he in there? Was What was he doing? Yes, he was the one. He's the British soldier in the beginning, and he gets killed. He's like the first <laughs> to die. But um, when he was talking, I was like, oh, shit, look at him. It's so cool. Is it Cole Meany? Jared Harris. Ah. I forgot. Oh, I don't know if that. I don't think it is oh, Jared uh, Harris. Moriarty. Yeah, it's Jared Harris. It's Moriarty. Is it yeah. really? And then wow. Pete Postlewaite is in there too. There's all kinds of like British character guys. Yeah. And Cole Meany from Cole, Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, he's in there, and um, and Scotty's in there. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. It was cool to see it. I think. Uh, uh, I'm not gonna say anything about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was nice to see some booty. <laughs> there was there was a lot of booty. It's a nineties film, so you get your mm-hmm. boobs. So you get a lot of side boobs. Yeah, a lot of boobs. Or side butt. Sorry. Yeah, a lot of nineties boobs. Nineties um, boobs. I told Patrick when we were watching it that I'm pretty sure my family was on the other side. <laughs> what do you I'm mean? pretty sure we were French. We were you were fighting. You were fighting with the French fighting. Well, your last name is Normandy. Yeah. Well, we were. Majority of my family spent majority of their time in Canada, and then we were from France. So it gets pretty. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm on the opposite of this war right now. Well, no, but you would have helped the you would have helped the the colonies in the revolution. So you're good. Yeah, you're good. Lafayette. I told them Lafayette. I was going to find out because my dad looked all of it up. Yeah, Ancest- you do ancestry.com. Twenty one and. But I, I think because this said 1775. Seventeen fifty seven. Seventeen fifty seven. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, sorry. It's- um, but I think my dad got up to 1800s. I don't think wow. he made it to 1700s. That's still pretty amazing, though. That's that's wow. fantastic to go back that far. Yeah, because wow. my family's barely, barely in the Philippines. Majority of our time is um, Canada and um, France. Oh, wow. wow. That's crazy. 
And that's on your dad's side, right? My daddy's side, yeah. Uh, so you did you oh, like? Uh, so the, so go the ahead, Justine. Was good. Uh huh. Like, I could go without a love uh, a romance happening in the film, though. Oh wow! So you were okay with just it being like an adventure kind of war story? It would have been a my brother's dying. That would have been enough. You, mm-hmm. so you wouldn't get Daniel Day Lewis running across a battlefield trying to save his lady. Yeah, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Like, that's part get of the movie. After that, I wonder if that's even in the book. Is that in the book? The romance? I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> if you've read, if you if you've read Last of the Mohicans, please uh, please let us know at Soup Complex. Are, I don't mind that the girls are there because there's a story with that, but yeah, I don't think they needed to fall in love. But I kept telling Patrick, I'm like, ooh, she wants some of that animal instinct. (laughs) 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 And Patrick's all, Patrick's like, like, is that what you're getting out of this movie right now? (laughs) (laughs) What did you say, Patrick? My blood is stirring. I was like, oh, she's wanting it tonight. What what I mean? That that remote control moved off the bed. (laughs) Yeah. She she wants to climb that totem pole. Uh, What? What I love about this movie, though, uh, the and I, I, tell me if you agree, uh, Justine, uh, Magua is a lot like Khan in that he's ostensibly a bad guy, but his motivations are you, you don't disagree with him. You don't disagree with him, do they? Like his family got wiped out. He, of course, he's angry. Like of course, he's mad. And I love what he says. His his last words are, you know, just know. That uh, you know your children will die and your seed will be wiped from the earth. It's like holy shit, dude. You know what's funny? <laughs> Watching him, I'm like, yeah, that's like how when I play board games with Patrick, <laughs> I only see one angle there, mm-hmm. and I just want to kill one mm-hmm. person. I'm gonna There's start a movie to be made where where he's the hero. You could make a movie where he is the hero. Exactly. His, yeah. his, his family's wiped out, and he spends the rest of his life trying to get vengeance. Yeah. If you oh, make and that how movie, how cool did he look in his war paint? Mm-hmm. Where it's like his eyes and then his uh, upper shoulders. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it was between yeah, like below his nose and like right above his nips. I thought were that all was the coolest, coolest. You know, the only time I turn against him is when he kills Uncas at the end. When he kills the brother, you're like, well, yeah. now you've gone too far. Like now, now, wake up. Time to die. That's that's really the only thing that that's the only thing that took because obviously you know ostensibly these are you know you know these are the heroes right the 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 you know the, yeah the, the yeah. Mohican family are the heroes of the movie so yeah you don't want to see him but you understand his motivation you understand they give him you know he's he's a great character because he has a reason to do what he's doing it's not just Absolutely. it's not just like in countless westerns that we've seen where well they're the indians so they're the bad guys they're going to attack because that's what the indians do right they're no people, he lays it, he lays it like out this. i'll tell you he by the time he lays it out you're like well of course he's looking for vengeance of course you know? mm-hmm. the craziest scene is when um uh hawkeye strolls into camp with his you know his belt that tells the story of his tribe Ooh. And uh, it's a really crazy scene because um, what's his name with the red hair? He's got a he's got to uh, translate, and all four of those characters are at cross purposes. Yeah, and he's trusting him. He's all translate what I they're like using two different languages. Translate for me, and you're not even on my side. You know what's? <laughs> like, yeah, and he's all did, and it's just trust. He's all did you tell him what I said? You know, 
and he sticks with it right to the end, except that he tells him, kill me, take me and not him, you know? Yeah. Uh, that is a great heavy. scene. That that scene where he's walking in and they're walking, they're like clubbing him and they're, they're you know, one guy like yeah. nice, like, like <laughs> cuts him open with the, uh, cuts him open like, with the I blade. Get, if I could just get to the old guy on the hill there, maybe I'll get him out of this, you know? Uh, so Justine, did you have a favorite character in all of this? The brother. Yeah. Uncus. Actually, no. I like the father better. He was cool too. Oh, dude. He's a badass throwing that that that, that dad that dad rampage at the end where it's just like oh, well with his giant um <laughs> whatever I that forget what that weapon's called it's the giant boomerang oh my god that thing is brutal Club. yeah and you think it's gonna be a longer fight right between him and Mogwai you think it's gonna be like his, he's like nope <laughs> he does one forward roll and it's over I'm gonna finish you you're gonna be done paralyzes him and then just breaks him apart but there's also I don't know it looked like there was a respect there too. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, it was uh, warrior to warrior. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then he says, "Time to die." Yeah. <laughs> um, I did like the score. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was bad at all. I, I agree with John with the running around. It was good. The only thing I hated was they put the credits in there, and I just felt like it was in the way. Like I'm watching something. Can you just? Yeah, yeah. You're right. The opening credit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not be there right now. Yeah. That, that was see, these days. Most of the time, they don't do that. They do the credits after. They just go straight 90s. into the movie. You know, Raiders of the Lost Ark does the same. Raiders of the Lost Ark does the same thing, where you're seeing Indy moving through the jungle and you're reading the credits. And uh, you know, that was a yeah. choice. They they did it. They don't do that as much anymore. But uh, I'd love to know who started that. That was a great idea to say no, no, no credits or title. We're just going to go right into the movie. Everything else comes later. You yeah. Know? Um, the first to do that was Patrick. What did you think, my man? I think I'm the only odd person out here. Uh, I got two main issues with this film. Okay. Uh, okay, first of all, I want you to say, well, here's what I want you to do before you put go ahead. put this movie. I want you to put your white guilt aside, okay? And oh, yeah, I want yeah, you... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. I know. That's I'm absolving you. I'm absolving no, you of any guilty. of any white guilt. It's fine. <laughs> for, this, uh, for this one. <laughs> I have... Two main issues, and I, I actually really one of them is a big one for me. Um, first off, the music. Any moment in this film is covered with music. They try and take the, the soundtrack. Well, it is good. It covers predominantly the entire film. There's not a lot of moments where they let the sound really breathe and let the stillness breathe. There is every single moment they're trying to make it sound more epic and more epic. And I get it. It's an epic adventure story. You get that feeling. But it's like there's maybe two scenes in this film where the music actually drops and you're able to hear the silence of the forest that they're in. The rest of it is just covered by sound. It's covered by not even just sound. It's covered by music. So you would say it's an intrusive score. It is. It's very intrusive. It's mm-hmm. distracting. And it takes it takes moments that you 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 can't really feel the emotion of the scene because the music overplays it. Okay. And it takes moments where it should be a little bit more somber and you've got this rising adventure music going on. You're just like, okay, fine, whatever. Um so that's issue number one. Uh issue number two, and I you all disagreed with this. I heard it from each one of you. 
Uh, I didn't like Daniel Day Lewis. Oh, I think I think he's a very attractive guy, and I've seen <laughs> a lot of his newer works, and he's very good. I didn't say I liked him, but in this movie, I didn't find him charismatic. I found him very flat. He his line delivery, yes. The character has dimension, but his the way he delivers it is very flat in monotone, and he doesn't have a lot of shift in emotion and change in level and rise. I, I can I, see that. Perhaps, perhaps that's a callback to the book and its dryness. <laughs> I would say that's more a directorial choice as well as an actor. Well, I think it's also Daniel Day Lewis working you. In a different accent and a, and a different vernacular too. It's a totally Maybe. different vernacular. If I know him. If I know him, he was probably trying to nail the accent and oh, it's no. probably so, flat. Like, it's probably flat. Was, uh, in prepping for the movie, he lived in the woods for like seven months. I was gonna. Say, you know what? I was waiting for someone to to bring yeah. something like that up because yeah. I, I I was like, he's it, it, a method actor. It makes sense. It's just it didn't didn't work it, for you. It didn't work. I didn't feel for the character. I didn't really care. Um, because he just felt very flat across the board. He sees friends and family dying and he's just playing this stoic monotone person. And it didn't work for me. It didn't do anything. Uh, this cinematography in this film is beautiful. The way they shoot different scenes, like, yes, it starts off slow, but if you're watching the actual shots from shot to shot, like when they're first getting to town and you see like, there's different perspectives they're showing of the, the column riding through town and you see like the blacksmith's perspective, like you go through and they do a wonderful job framing the cinematography and the set design is all wonderful. It's just, mm -hmm. I didn't really care about anything else. The rest of it was shit. Um, the last half an hour or so picks up and I enjoyed that a lot more. I really, really love the fight scene at the end, uh, between, um, uh, uh, the father in um, what's his face? Uh, Magua. Magua. Yeah, on top of the waterfall. I thought mm -hmm. for its simplicity, it was beautiful as well as like you can feel all of that emotion in that one scene, and that was done really well. Mm -hmm. You know what? Lewis wasn't in it, and I appreciate. <laughs> you know what scene? You know what scene is really well done that doesn't have music, and I don't know how it must have been held to direct, but. The scene where they're, you know, they the British have surrendered and they're letting them go, and the Huron are going to attack, and they they show that scene of the column, and you just see it stretching off into the horizon, and then you see the everybody see come the out, the yeah, they come out from the sides, and it doesn't, it's not all at once, it's like little flurries, and then all of a sudden, like yeah. everybody starts firing at once, and that that seems really good. But yeah. The problem with it is, is, is as soon as they all start coming out of the woods. The music <laughs> yeah. well, takes over, and it's just it's it, it, it's funny that the one scene I noticed at this time watching because I do like the score, especially at the end. I think it works really well where you just have that violin playing when when they're having the fight scene and doing that slow motion slow, slow motion chase up the mountain. Where it was really obtrusive, I noticed this time, Patrick, and I was going to bring it up, and I'm glad you did. Uh, when they when he first rescues the the girls and the the British officer. And they're yeah, taking them, they're, they're out walking by that waterfall. It's a beautiful waterfall, and you hear the music, and it's like, I thought, even thought to myself, it would be nice just to hear the, the waterfall. Exactly. There's also moments like when they're laying in the, in the burial ground while the uh, other tribe is approaching and they're hiding out there. 
They're literally playing the music over the fucking dialogue. Yeah. But I feel like that's a modern thing to ask for. Because now they really don't play as much music anymore. It's not necessarily. It's just like it's... We've seen so many movies that do scores so well. Mm -hmm. I mean, we talk about it all the time, but the Dollar Trilogy, it's a character in the film. This could have been the score, because it is good, could have been a character in this film, and instead it's a theme, and it dominates. Watch me me bring this full circle. It's like the Beatles documentary. It's a lot of a a good thing, and it might be too much for some people. It might be too much for some people. But yeah, I, I like the score, but you're right. It does get obtrusive at, at times. You're, it's, it's very obtrusive because there's so many good things going about this film mm-hmm. from a visual perspective that it's just like they, I, I feel like they were just like, hey, we got this great music. It's going to be fucking fantastic. Where can we put it? These guys oh, got I know, fucking everywhere. These guys are getting paid by the note. Let's put it in. Exactly. It's, just, it's fucking like we paid a lot of money for this. We have a budget of $40 million. We spent $30 million on the soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You, know what the, you know what's funny? They rescored the soundtrack because this one. Um, oh, yeah? The original one was, was heavily. Uh, they used a lot of synthesizer in it. Uh, and they actually, they actually rescored it with a. With a with a lot of uh, with with, a, with an orchestra with a full orchestra, yeah. so wow! So really, uh, because think about Miami Vice. That was all synthesizer. Mm-hmm. Who was that? That was uh, famous guy. Who was? Uh, oh, uh, 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 Faltermeyer. Her- not Harold Faltermeyer. Um, I don't know. I mean, was it Harold Faltermeyer who did? Um, there was the a Mi- famous guy. The, the Miami oh, Vice oh, series. Oh. It was this <laughs> very famous, very eighties guy, and it was wall to wall music, and it was all sort of. You know, synthesizer type stuff. Mm. Uh, uh, Jan Hammer. Yo, Jan Hammer. That's right. Yeah, that's it. Jan Hammer, yeah. And I'm glad somebody saw, I'm sure it was Michael Mann. I'm sure somebody, I'm glad they said, wait a minute. This is, this is 1756. No synthesizers. Yeah. It was like Lady Hawk. You remember Lady Hawk? Yeah. They were using like Tangerine Dream or something. You're going, Jesus. This is supposed to be like the year, you know, 1205. <laughs> Where are they going to get a synthesizer? You know? Patrick, before we before we divert. Uh... I just want to say one more thing. Like if they had taken Daniel Day-Lewis's character and given him moments of depth where he could actually express and show motion, he would he he shifts from being like it, it, he felt like to me he's just a set piece. OK. Like, he does what you tell him to do. He he runs across the scene. He He's, he's an action hero versus a character who you have sympathy for and you care for. The loss of his brother is probably the only moment where he shows any breadth of emotion. When he falls off the cliff, you hear him scream his name, and that's really it. And that's not even a scene where you see him. So let me ask you this, Patrick. What was your favorite scene in the movie? Uh, It's definitely the fight scene on top of the waterfall. Justine, Justine, what was your favorite scene? the guy so he doesn't feel pain oh wow john yeah did you have a favorite scene um probably everything in that last half hour is solid yeah jake everything that takes place up on the uh, waterfall mm-hmm. same for you um i really liked the ambush scene after they had um they all left the fort yeah that was a good scene yeah that was the uh, that also, was also 
Also, I looked up um, the father's uh, weapon. It is called a gunstock war club, named for its very similar shape to a gunstock. That thing was awesome. Mm-hmm. How can I get one for home protection? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna do a he roll. Shit! Like he took, he broke that dude's arm. Yeah. You see the bone pop out. Yeah. Shit. Point, he spikes him through the stunner. Like it was brutal. He gave him the stunner because he, he poked. He, he got him in like the spine, and he couldn't move after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, that was well, great. It had a. It had a, a, a spike. Oh, you can buy it. one for fifty dollars on Cold Steel. Oh my god. Thanks, thanks a lot, man. We're gonna look. We're gonna look Wait, that up. You got right on that. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Jake. Uh, yeah, let's r- let's rank it. Last of the Mohicans. Uh, let's rank it. We'll go with Patrick first. It's a six. Six for Patrick. Justine. I give it a seven. Seven, respectable. John. Yeah, it's a seven for me. Jake. I give it. A s- yeah, we'll say a seven. Like yeah, I'll, g- I'll give it a seven. It was a, it was a re- re- I hadn't seen it in a while revisiting it. Uh, it still holds up, and it's I think I think a lot of it has to do with Michael Mann's direction. I think he knows how to mm-hmm. he can he this shows you he can direct stuff aside from just shootouts in downtown L.A. You know yeah, because I would love the, know, the cinematography is fantastic. Yeah, you look at his filmography. This is the only movie of its type. Out of all the movies he's done, it's the only one. This is his crazy. age of innocence, John. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Scorsese, you go, what? Everything else with Michael Mann is uh, is guns and cars. And with this, you just go, wow. You really want to know the story of why I he mean, wanted he to did, do this. He did Ali. He did Hancock. He did The Aviator. He did a lot of stuff. Uh, no, I don't think he did The Aviator. Aviator was Scorsese. He was. He must have been an assistant director on it. I think he turns it. up as a producer on a lot of stuff. Oh, okay. Maybe. Uh, okay. Well, what's coming up next, Justine? Uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Oh, oh my god! Wow. <laughs> what a great. We're kicking off December. Uh, well, it's just today. Today's the first day of December, but boy, what a great. Wow. That's a great movie for Pearl Harbor Day, which. Uh, you, what is it about? You got if you got let me tell you guys something. If you love Jack Lemon in the odd couple in the apartment, mm-hmm. uh you are and some like it hot, you are really gonna you're really gonna love him in Glengarry Glen Ross. And also I want uh every time I want you to have a bottle of your favorite alcoholic beverage, and every time somebody says the F word, I want you to take a drink. Yes. Okay, so have a whatever it is, beer, wine, whiskey. Every time somebody drops an F-bomb, I want you to take a drink. <laughs> and call us when you're having your stomach pumped. Why did wow. Okay. What, what's wrong, Jake? Oh, it says it came out 2021 on Amazon for some reason. What? It's weird. Glenn Gary again. Glenn oh, Ross. maybe it's... Uh, Glenn, 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 yeah. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. It's a, it's Glenn a story Glenn. about... Uh, Justine, if you want to know, it's a, it's, I'll give you the brief plot synopsis. It's about real estate salesmen. Oh. Oh, I'm looking at who's in it. Fucking well, this sounds, Christ. well, this sounds Look good. at that cast. Uh, look at that cast, Patrick. Yeah. Alex Dino, Alec Baldwin, Jack, Jack Lemmon, Ed Harris, Alan Harkin, wow. Kevin Spacey, Jonathan Price. Wow, that's a movie. Kevin Spacey? Yeah. Yeah. It's got fucking Jack Lemmon in it. Like, we're good. That's a movie we're gonna watch. Yeah, luckily uh, Mr. Spacey isn't in it that much. He's uh, he's a smaller. 
he is a smaller part. Uh, so, but yeah, yeah, we're getting to a part, uh, the weird part where we start running into Kevin Spacey turning up in some of our movies. So we, we you know, before he's a fucking monster. Uh, you know, well, we just ignore that kind of stuff. <laughs> It's a whole other conversation. It, yeah. Do you boycott? Do you boycott every movie that's got somebody in it who did something? Yeah. You know, monstrous. Yeah. We, wouldn't, we wouldn't. We wouldn't watch half of these movies. That's that that's absolutely true. That's absolutely Guess true. Guess what I learned? Do you know what the title um, "If You Like Pina Colada" was supposed to be originally? What? What? If you like Humphrey Gobart, go go Gert, go go Bogart, go Bogart, 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 Bogart. If you like Humphrey Gobart, <laughs> is that really true? Yes, I heard it, and I was like, "Are you fucking? Why am I watching something and we're still talking about?" <laughs> Humphrey Bogart. If you like Humphrey Bogart, oh like yeah, Dumpy Dumpy, yeah. that works. Yeah. How about that? That would have been like Betty Davis eyes. That would have been a good one, two, you know, eighties one, two punch. Yeah, yeah. Humphrey Bogart has that. That's he has the right amount of syllables. Not everybody. That doesn't work with everybody else. If you like Humphrey Bogart, Humphrey Bogart, you have to have four syllables. Um. If you like Gina Davis, like, see that works. Yeah. Yeah. If you like Buster Keaton, yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. If you like Bradley Cooper, (laughs) (laughs) if you like Emma Stone, yay. Yeah, we're coming no, up on you it's not good. Emma Stone. Oh, yeah. If you like Thomas Holland, Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we gotta we gotta next we gotta we gotta work in some Spidey. Uh, the the new Spidey movies coming out. We gotta work in some Spidey talk. So it's oh, gonna be what, um, uh, no place like out? home. Seventeenth, seventeenth, man. Everybody's gonna be in it. Yeah. So yeah. in theaters the seventeenth, and then what? Uh, on I have no idea. I have no idea how they're doing it because it's a Sony release, so who knows? They don't have a they don't have their own platform, so. Oh, it won't be on Disney Plus then, right? Probably uh, not. Probably not. Even yeah, though it's an MCU movie, it's a Sony. It might show up on HBO. Maybe. Aha. Maybe. Yeah, we'll have know. to find out. I, we're probably gonna have to go to the theaters to see it. Yep. If you hey, like, let's all go together. If you like hey, Tony Curtis, there we go. He's dreamy. That's Tony Curtis. Mm-hmm. You like Gordon Ramsay? <laughs> there you go. Love it. That's weird. If All you right. like Gaffieri. Hey. hey. <laughs> if you like Padme Lakshmi. Um, hey, there we go. There you go. How about that? We're just going to start, start naming chefs. <laughs> if you like Martha Stewart. <laughs> if you like Martha Stewart. All right. I love you guys. Yep. Good show. This call. Good show today. Good show. All right. Correct them. Next week, Glengarry Glen Ross. We'll be back with more. I'll probably have that Beatles documentary wrapped up. No time. Yeah. So yeah. I'll see that concert and I'll, I'll be like, I'm the biggest Beatles fan in the world. And I'll go, bullshit. Yep. Oh, you'll quiz me. I'll say, oh yeah, and I'll what say, did he do? With, what did he say at the very end? I'll say something with total, full of controversy, like George Harrison was actually the most talented Beatle, 
and then everybody will disagree. I love, I love it. Con- controversy. I love that. Whenever the kinks say, the kink controversy. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, controversy. All right. In America, we say controversy. <laughs> like real people. All right. Mm. Guys, for John, for Jake, for Jake, for John, for Jake, for Patrick, for Justine, we say this transmission ends now. And until next time.